0: The Peter Schiff Show. Well, Janet Yellen today concluded her two-day uh, testimony. Yesterday, she testified in front of the Senate. Today, in front of the House, and this is uh, generally gives uh, you know Republicans and Democrats an opportunity to you know get some publicity to push their agenda. Uh, as they, you know, question Janet Yellen. And a lot of the interesting remarks are made during the Q&A session. But I want to focus on the prepared remarks right now, because this is, you know, this gets a lot of forethought, because this is written. Janet Yellen prepares these remarks in advance, and I think they choose every word, right? They painstakingly pick each word because they know how people parse through uh, whatever they write. So I think, you know, if they wrote something, they meant to put it in there, right? It's not, this is not an oversight. They they choose every word very carefully. And so I want to read a little bit from the prepared remarks that Janet Yellen read Uh, to the House and to the Senate. And just, you know, comment on it, because I really think that these remarks were among the most dovish I've I've read. And again, we're, you know, supposedly about three months from when they're supposed to be raising rates, right? I mean, the dollar had a huge rally, gold sold off, based on the idea that the Fed was going to be raising rates in June, and if you actually pay attention to what Janet Yellen is ta- says, raising rates are the furthest thing from her mind. In fact, they're not even in her mind. They're not even considering it yet. And, of course, the media doesn't even report it this way. That's, you know, even crazier is that there's no reaction to what Janet Yellen is actually saying. So here first she says and I'm reading this you know, directly from the prepared remarks, the committee judges that a high degree of policy accommodation remains appropriate, right? A high degree of monetary accommodation remains appropriate. Why? If the economy is really recovering, if we've reached you know, escape velocity, we've got this low unemployment rate, you know, six years in a recovery, uh, we've had three rounds of QE, 0% interest rates, Why would we still need a high degree of policy accommodation, not just a normal degree of accommodation, right, that a weak economy would need? See, normally it's when the economy is weak that it needs help from the Fed. Normally the Fed is leaning against a strong economy, right? The Fed is, you know, stepping on the brakes when the economy is strong, right? It's raising rates. It's trying to keep it from overheating, right? That's normally what happens. So it's a weak economy, where you get stimulus and a strong economy, you get the sedative, you get restraint. Well, the Fed is basically, again, having its cake and eating it too, saying the economy is doing well, yet it still needs a high degree of policy accommodation. Well, if it needs a high degree of policy accommodation, it is not doing well, right? It's like your doctor telling you you're doing well, except you have to stay in bed on life support. we got to feed you intravenously and you got to breathe through a tube. But other than that, you're doing great. Well, no, if, if, you ha- if you have to stay in bed on life support, you ain't doing so hot, right? So the economy is not in good shape if we still need, as Janet Yellen says we need, a high degree of policy accommodation. Also, she says we need to promote a return of inflation to 2% over the medium term. Now, you know, she uses the word medium term a lot because she doesn't want to say short term, because when inflation gets to 2 percent, the way the government, uh, you know, uh, computes it, they're not going to say, aha, we're there. They want it to stay at 2 percent for a while because they're afraid that it goes to 2 percent and then comes back down. So they want to really make sure that it's safe. So, you know, they're they're not talking about getting to 2 percent now. They're talking about getting to 2 percent and staying there. So it's going to have to be above 2 percent for a while before they raise rates, according to Yellen, and we're no, you know, we're not at even two percent yet. Uh, so let, I'll read a little bit more. Accordingly, the FOMC has continued to maintain the target rate of Fed funds of zero to 0.25 and to keep the Federal Reserve's holdings of longer-term securities at their current elevated level to help maintain the accommodative conditions. Of course, they have to keep their um, balance sheet at the current level because they can't let it shrink. Because if they let it shrink, that means they stop rolling over all the maturing debt and the Treasury has no way of coming up with the money to repay the Fed. You know, because if the Fed doesn't roll over its bonds, where is the Treasury going to get the money? And of course, that would mean the money supply would shrink. Because if, assuming that the Treasury could sell the additional bonds, find buyers in the private market to replace the Fed, now they would repay the Fed and the Fed would destroy the money. And the money supply would shrink. And this phony bubble economy isn't going to withstand a collapse in the money supply. So that's the reason that they're not, you know, that they're staying accommodative because, you know, they know that they they need to buy these bonds. But let me continue reading here about the forward guidance. The FOMC is also providing forward guidance that offers information about our policy outlook and the expectations for the future path of the Fed funds rate. Right. In that regard, the committee judged in December and January that it can be patient in beginning to raise the Fed funds rate. This judgment reflects the fact that inflation continues to run well below the committee's a uh, 2% objective. I mean, well below. I mean, it's not even close to it as far as they're concerned. Well below our objective and that room for substantial improvement in labor conditions still remains substantial improvement. So we're talking about 5.7% unemployment, and Yellen is saying there's still room for substantial improvement. So what is she talking about? 5.7% is pretty low when it comes to unemployment. So obviously, the Fed is looking at underemployment. They're looking at all the people working part-time. And so in that respect, if they're going to wait until we have substantial uh, improvement on that front uh, before raising interest rates, we're going to be waiting for a long time. Because we're nowhere close to having those type of improvements in the labor market. But basically, the Fed is conceding that we still need a lot of improvement in the labor market. Despite the fact that Obama and the Democrats are touting how great the labor market is, Yellen is saying, no, there's still room for substantial, substantial improvement, not improvement, some improvement, right? Substantial. That's a big number. Right? So they're saying we need a lot more inflation and substantial improvement in the labor market before we're going to raise rates. That's what she's saying. You know, read more. The FOMC assessment, assessment that it can be patient in beginning to normalize policy, means that the committee considers it unlikely that economic conditions will warrant an increase in the target range for the Fed funds rate for at least the next couple of meetings. Right, Meaning that we're not going to raise it for at least the next couple of meetings, but she's not saying we're going to raise rates in a couple of meetings. She's saying that if we raise them at all, it wouldn't. The, the earliest we might do it is in a couple of meetings, uh, but we're probably not going to. Right? She says if economic conditions continue to improve, as the committee anticipates, the committee will. And this, get this, this is the real important part. So I'm going to start again. This is what she's talking about rates. If economic conditions, that's an if, right? If economic conditions continue to improve, which they might not. In fact, they're already weakening. But if economic conditions continue to improve, as the committee anticipates, the committee will at some point begin considering an increase in the target rate of Fed funds. Wait a minute. They haven't even begun to consider raising interest rates yet? I mean, what are they doing at these FOMC meetings if they're not considering rate increases? What are they playing? Cards? I mean, what do you I mean, these are central bankers. That's really all they do is change the level of interest rates. Yet according to Janet Yellen, the FOMC hasn't even yet begun to consider raising interest rates. They haven't got it to the point where they start thinking about it. I mean, I mean, think about that. They're not even thinking about raising rates yet. I mean, that's like, you know, like a 16 year old boy says, yeah, you know, in the future, I might begin to consider thinking about girls. I mean, come on. I mean, if you're a 16 year old boy, that's all you're thinking about is girls. You're thinking about girls all the time. You're not going to consider thinking about them in the future. So who? what, what do they mean? They're going to they're going to think and again. They wrote this. This is not Janet Yellen just answering a question off the cuff, right? Every word that's here is here for a reason, right? So Janet Yellen is not saying that they're going to raise rates. All she's saying is that if the economy improves, see, there's a big if because it might not. If the economy improves, then at some point, right, when is some point? Who the hell knows when that is? They will begin considering an increase. Not that we will, not that we will increase interest rates. She's not saying if the economy improves, we're going to increase interest rates. She says if the economy improves, then we'll begin to consider increasing interest rates. Well, how long are they going to consider it for? If they're going to begin, right, they're not going to raise interest rates until they finish the process, right? They have to finish thinking about it before they do it. So, all Janet Yellen is saying is that at some point in the future, if the economy improves, then they'll start to think about raising rates. Will they actually raise them? I don't know. They're going to think about it. But apparently, they haven't even been thinking about it yet. Yet, people expect them to raise rates in June, three months from now. Now, why aren't people looking, you know, after they heard this, right? People should be. You know, this should have been market moving. Anybody who was expecting a rate increase, after they read this, you know, they should change their mind. Here, now, now they go on, right? After they say they, they'll begin thinking about raising rates. Before then, the committee will change its forward guidance. So meaning before they start thinking about raising rates, they're going to change their guidance, which is the patient. So that means that as long as the word patient is in their statement, they haven't even begun to think about raising rates. So before they can think about raising rates, they got to take that word patient out of the statement. But then look, look what she says. However, it is important to emphasize that a modification of the forward guidance should not be read as indicating that the committee will necessarily increase the target range in a couple of meetings. So in other words, she said that patient means we're not going to raise rates for at least a couple of meetings. But if we take the word patient out, don't assume that we're going to raise rates in a couple of meetings because we're not. Right. That's what she's saying. Um, It says, It is important to emphasize that a modification of the forward guidance should not be read as indicating that the committee will necessarily increase rates. So then why modify your guidance if it doesn't mean anything? Basically, she's saying, look, we might change our guidance, but we don't actually mean anything. So don't, you know, don't react to it because it doesn't mean anything. Well, of course, then why even have it here? Then she writes, instead, the modification should be understood as reflecting the committee's judgment that conditions have improved to the point where it will soon be the case that a change in the target rate could be warranted. Not that it will be, but that it could be. See, really all it means is that when they remove the word patient, they potentially might begin thinking about raising rates. Now, maybe they won't begin thinking, and maybe they will, but thinking about raising rates and actually raising rates are two different things. Who knows how long the Fed will have to think about raising rates before they actually raise them. Yeah, I'll read a little bit more. Provided that labor market conditions continue to improve and further improvement is expected, right, the committee anticipates that it will be appropriate to raise a target rate of funds rate when, on the basis of incoming data, the committee is reasonably confident that inflation will move back above in the medium term towards our 2% objective. So again, they estimate that If we get all this substantial improvement in the labor market and if we get inflation over 2% in the medium term, not right away, we need to be confident that it's not just 2% now, but it's going to be 2% for a while. Then maybe, then maybe we'll start thinking about raising rates. Does this sound like a Federal Reserve that's getting ready to raise interest rates? Here was the Wall Street Journal headline Right? as a result of... Uh, Yesterday's testimony with these prepared remarks, this is how the Wall Street Journal reported, quote, Yellen puts Fed on path to lift rates. Where do they get off coming away with that? Yellen puts Fed on path to lift rates? No, she didn't. If anything, Yellen took the Fed off the path to lift rates by basically telling everybody that raising interest rates is the furthest thing from their mind. They're not even thinking about it yet. They haven't even begun the process to think about raising interest rates yet. Here's the art, the head lead story: Yellen puts Fed on path to rate to lift rates. No, first of all, a lot of people thought they were already on that path. How many times can Yellen put the Fed on the same path? Right? We—they've been on this path to lift rates for a long time. My point has been they were never really on that path. They were just bluffing. Yet here, Janet Yellen almost comes out and hits you on the head with a two by four and says, "Look, we're not raising rates." Now, they don't want to actually say that, but that they're doing it. She's going out of her way to basically say just that. She's leaving herself all sorts of wiggle room so that she doesn't actually have to raise rates. And she never promised to raise rates. All she promised to do was think about it. And and, and she didn't even promise she would think about it. They might start thinking about it, but maybe they won't. Who knows? No, I thought it was also interesting that one of the things that Yellen talked about as a positive for the economy and as a positive for the consumer, was lower energy prices. And she described it, you know, and basically said, look, this is good. She acknowledged that some people might lose their jobs in the energy sector, and she felt badly. But she said that overall, lower oil prices are positive because it means that if American citizens spend less money on gas, then they'll have more money to spend on other things, and that's going to help the economy, which, of course, Is true, but if lower gas prices help the economy, why don't lower prices in general help the economy? I mean, what's true about gasoline is true about everything. I mean, if I spend less money on food, I got more money to spend on other things. If I spend less money on clothing, I have more money to spend on other things. If I spend less money for healthcare, I have more money to spend on other things. If my rent goes down, I have more money. There's not a single product that you can think of where if the price goes down, you don't have more money to buy other stuff, right? I mean, just think about mathematically. In a simple world, let's say I got $1,000 to spend and there are 10 things I want to buy and they all cost $100. So I can buy 10 things for $100 and i spent my $1,000, right? Well, what if the price of all the things that I want to buy go down by 10%? Well, now, you know, now they're only $90 a piece, so I spend... I buy 10 things and I only spend $900. I have a hundred dollars left over. Now I can buy another thing. I can buy another $90 thing and then still have $10 left over for savings. Right. I'll have 11 things instead of 10, whatever prices go down. And it doesn't matter what the price that went down was, whatever it was. I mean, even in my, my situation where I've got, you know, 10 products that I'm buying for 10, a hundred dollars each. If the price of one of those products goes down to $50, and now I got $50 left over to buy something else, right? I mean, it, does, it doesn't it does matter whether it's gasoline. So if Janet Yellen understands that lower prices increases consumption, right, because you, you, you can still spend your money. You just end up buying more stuff, and that's what means you have a higher living standard. If I can buy more stuff for my money, I enjoy a greater quality of living, standard of living. I have more things for the same money. And so if that's the case when it comes to oil, why isn't that true for everything else? Yellen is saying, I want to force prices to go up 2% when they're going up by considerably less than that now. Well, by definition, by her own logic, if prices go up, that will mean that consumers can buy less. They'll have lower purchasing power. If you force up prices, and consumers don't have a, you know, they don't have a printing press like Janet Yellen, you know, they have a paycheck, and if their paycheck is the same and prices are going up, they have to buy less stuff. So clearly, you know, Janet Yellen is talking out of both sides of her mouth here when she's saying that rising prices are both good and bad at the same time, because that's really what she's saying. But still, nobody uh, in the House or the Senate bothers to question her. On this, I'd love to see someone call her out on it and let's see her weasel out of it. How does she explain that? How does she explain that falling gas prices are good, but falling food prices are bad or falling clothing prices or falling, uh, rents or falling medical prices or, I mean, anything consumer electronics, whatever. I mean, try to explain that you can't. In fact, you know, two central banks today, I was reading these articles. One was on, uh, Sweden. And the title of the article, I'm not making this up, right? Uh, This is in the Salt Lake Tribune, but it's a Bloomberg story. So it's a Bloomberg News figures, right? I'm just reading they picked up the the Bloomberg story. Sweden, the mistake Yellen wants to avoid. And what is the mistake? And you read the article, it says, oh, it's like this beautiful country, right? Everything is nice there. But it says this month, After one year of too slow price gains and another two years of falling prices, oh my God, right? Sweden's central bank was forced to take an unprecedented action. The bank slashed interest rates into negative territory in addition to announcing its intention of buying government bonds. Critics says the drastic move came too late and could have been avoided altogether had the bank just acted sooner. In the four years leading up to this historic stimulus, the central bank board had bitter debates over the need to cut rates, leading to the resignation. So in other words, had they acted sooner, they would have avoided the horrors of inflation being too low. And now because they waited too long, they let inflation get so low that now they've got to panic and they've got to do all this extra stimulus uh, to, to push up inflation. But nowhere in the article does it mention that Sweden is having, you know, economic growth problems, that they have an unemployment problem, that there are any other economic problems. the The only problem is the low inflation or the absence of inflation, which I would argue is not a problem. That's a benefit. That's a good thing. But without any evidence that this low inflation is causing harm to the Swedish economy, they need to do something about it. Right. The problem isn't that the low inflation is hurting economic growth or hurting employment. The argument is that the low inflation is a problem in and of itself. You know, it doesn't matter. We don't even if we have low unemployment and high economic growth. If we have low inflation, that's a problem we got to do something about. And so they have to slash interest rates to negative for the sole purpose of making the inflation rate go up. And why would that help the economy? It won't. It's going to hurt the economy. The economy will be less strong with a higher rate of inflation than it was with a lower rate of inflation. And it it, it would have been even stronger with a negative rate of inflation. But if they're successful, and they will be in driving up the inflation rate, it will be to the detriment of the economy. Now, the problem is going to be, of course, what happens when the inflation rate gets too high? because they're always going to overshoot. They can't, you know, fine tune it to that degree. So at some point, they're going to have to raise interest rates much higher than they otherwise would have been to try to you know, put that inflation genie back in the bottle. But the fact that low inflation is seen as a problem in and of itself, even if there are no other problems. I mean, look at this article on Israel, because Israel re- lowered rates this week as well. They're the 20th central bank this year to lower rates and interest rates now in zero in Israel are at a record low 0.1. See, before they cut rates, they were at 0.25, which was probably also a record low. And so they just cut them to 0.9, 0.1, right? And it says the CPI declined by 0.9% in January. That means something that cost, you know, a hundred dollars, Last year, you can buy for $99.10. Oh my God, right? Oh, what a disaster. People are going to stop spending, right? right so say the CPI declined by 0.9 against the backdrop of a decline in energy prices and a reduction in water prices. Oh my God, water got cheaper in the desert. What are we going to do about that horror? I mean, Israel, right, is in the Middle East. I mean, I'm sure that water is kind of expensive when you're in the Middle East. Right. And, you know, to the extent that you can bring down the price of water, that's a problem. Why? I mean, water is a basic necessity, right? I mean, if the Israelis can spend less money on water, is it doesn't that mean that they can spend more money on something else? Wouldn't that be an even better stimulus than less money on gas? I mean, you gotta have water, right? You're gonna die if you don't have water. You gotta drink water. And the cheaper water is the better, right? The more plentiful your water is, the less expensive your water is. And of course, I mean, water in general is relatively inexpensive. So the people that benefit the most from low water prices are the poorest people in society, right? Bill Gates doesn't care what he pays for his water, right? But, you know, the average guy, I mean, water bill is a a big deal. And so water prices going down, oh my God, this is terrible, Also, the article mentioned a decline in housing components, so that's probably rents. So rents went down, the price of water went down, the price of energy went down. These are all good things, but apparently these are terrible things and they require emergency reductions in interest rates to stop this horror, to try to make sure that the Israelis pay more money for water. Right? That drinking and showering and washing your car and watering your lawn, we need to make all these things more expensive. And that is progress. Because, you know, if you actually read this article, the article writes about how strong the Israeli economy has been, how the unemployment rate is falling, labor force participation is rising. So they're saying we've got a strong economy, lots of economic growth, low unemployment, but... We also have low inflation, and so we got to do something about the low inflation without any evidence that that low inflation is hurting the economy. You know what might end up hurting the economy? These low interest rates that are there supposedly to solve the non-existent inflation problem. Well, they're going to create an inflation problem where one wasn't there, and now they're going to have to do something about it, which will be disruptive to the Israeli economy. and every economy, this is the nonsense that is going around, uh, but the thing is, While Israel is cutting rates and Sweden, everybody still thinks that the Fed is going to be raising rates. Why could they possibly think that? How can they possibly think that, A, given what Yellen is saying, and B, open your eyes and look at the economic data? Because the Fed says they're data dependent, too. Well, the data is getting worse. Just look at some of the data we got this week. We got Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey collapsed to minus 11.2, right? That's the lowest level since April of 2013. Not April of 2014, April of 2013. That's almost two years ago. This is the third month in a row that that Dallas Fed Manufacturing Survey has missed its numbers. And it's actually, too, the biggest three-month decline since April of 2013. Then also on Monday, we got the existing home sales plunged by a much greater than expected 4.9%. That was the biggest drop in January in existing homes in five years. Biggest drop in January in five years. And it's the lowest monthly level since April of last year. But I mean, what is that saying? And that's with these record low mortgage rates, right? The Fed is saying we're about to raise interest rates. We've already had the biggest drop in January in five years. Yeah, also, we got another Fed survey out the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. That one came out yesterday. That was well below estimate. It was supposed to come out at six, which was the same as last month. Instead, we came out at zero, which was well below the lowest number of the range. So that that was the lowest number in almost a year. Right? You have to go back to March of last year before the number was lower. So, you know, this is February. So it's almost a year low in that number. And you know we uh, some other numbers that came out this week were kind of missed a little bit below, maybe a little bit better, but most of the numbers again are weak. Now we're going to get you know more economic numbers coming out later in the week. I'll be talking about that. I'll be talking uh, on Friday about the GDP revision. So make sure to to listen to uh, that podcast. That either either you know it'll come out on Friday or maybe over the weekend. Also, too, if you don't read my newsletter. The, the next edition of my newsletter is coming out, and I've got a lot. We, I write a lot about the Fed there, and uh, so there's some more on what we discussed today. So it's a free newsletter. If you're not getting a copy of my newsletter, you just go to europac.com. By the way, I just recently changed my website from europac.net to europac.com. I mean, although europac.net still works, but might as well use the .com now. But europac.com, and just sign up for the free newsletter. Right. It you know, it just comes in in, in the email. But the next issue is gonna be coming up shortly, probably by next week. So if you sign up now, you'll you'll be in the database in time to receive it.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control.